0: morning good afternoon good evening and good night and welcome to another episode of endurance chat i'm not michael zalavari unfortunately he couldn't be here so you got emergency host chris riddell with, with you tonight talking about one of the great races in the world we're counting down to the Le Mans 24 hours and this will be a little intro podcast talking about you know what the classes are and just giving you a feel for what the race is with me tonight we have our european brethren Oliver, Trevor, Trevor, I've got to stop this up, Trevor, Ollie, hello. <laughs> I can never say your name. Along with everyone else. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Ollie. Long time no see, or no time no chat. And even longer time no chat, job Hello to you, sir.
1: Hello. Yeah, it's been a while. It has been a very long time. been while. in the background lately.
0: So. Yeah, you did a lot of your work in chat correcting our mistakes, but for once, we got you back on the air to chat about Le Mans. So, um, as always, we say we uh, bring you this podcast with thanks to our sponsor, The Racing Line App. Uh, we thank them for their support. So, gentlemen, Le Mans. This is a race that we've all lo- love. The Le Mans 24 Hours. Best race in the world, agree?
1: Yes. <laughs> one <laughs> of the best for sure. Because yeah. people always say I like this one better or this one, but it should be in your top.
0: Yeah. Should be should the be top. Uh, for me it definitely isn't I Ollie, you've got a special love for this place.
2: Yes, I I don't know like how to describe it exactly, but it's like just such a magical place that I've got a connection with and it, it's been a while since I've been lucky enough to go um, but uh, yeah hopefully next year I can see that place again and hear and smell those race cars
1: um but we'll see'll see but, Jock, have you been lucky enough to go? Uh, not yet on the back I was planning I was planning to go last year, but we all know what happened then
0: yeah some so... someone got a cold.
1: But I think in this race, I think if you, I still remember when I was was a child when I first saw it on TV and I watched the first day, and then the strange realization when you turn on the TV the next day and it's still going. That first time, I you never forget, in my opinion.
0: No, absolutely. Uh, I can remember my first race in the in the early you know early teens. It was the first race, like 2010, I think it was the first race I watched, cover to cover, and just that mem it's just a memorable event you know it's you know obviously a different time zone watching race cars go around five in the morning here and then transitioning into night time in the Le Mans, it's an amazing spectacle and yes it's been delayed again this year because of covid but still coming up to what is it two weeks away can't three wait away two three weeks away so, what makes this place special?
1: Well, two weeks. Of course, it's 21st,
0: twenty two. But... Oh, yes, yeah, so it's two weeks away. Yeah. So, what makes this place special, guys? Is it the it track? It has
2: everything. It has everything? Yeah, like you mentioned already, the 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 transition through day to night and what that brings, and then back today again, obviously. Um, you have all of the different conditions with temperature, the chance of rain. I mean, it always rains at Le Mans, right? Oh, yeah. um, you, you, it, it, the track itself as well it's you know one of the longest circuits in the world um, it's mostly on public roads as well you have all sorts of those um, features from that you know you, a racetrack normally is is quite nicely smooth and flat whereas the the public road you've got the bumps of all the painted lines you've got you know trucks going on along the, the Mulsanne that creates and it has like a crown in the road um in the center so you know when you want to pass traffic and go around you can kind of unsettle the car um yeah it's it's pretty wild
0: yeah and i think for for me it's the track itself there's no challenge like this anywhere in world motorsport i don't think uh would you go anything you'd like to
1: add yeah, I think it's also the, the history, the fact that it has been held since I think it was nineteen twenty three. It's like it has been on and off for a bit, of course, but it's like it's almost it doesn't take long. And it it's a one hundred year it's been held because the first time. Like that's a long that's a long time. <laughs> yes, it is. You know, back in the, back
0: in the days, it was manufacturers just coming out to play with whatever car they had. Um, and through that time, you know, you're going through the Group C era, you're gone through the madness of the hybrid era, and now you've come into a new era. Up through the modern era, you've got the hybrid era for the Audi, Peugeot, Porsche battles of the early 2000s. Up to now, a new era with hypercar. This place writes so many stories.
2: Pretty much every big storyline outside of F1, you know, has had a, a part, you know, with, at, at this event, you know, you've got so many OEMs with history. Um Like you mentioned Porsche and, and how many times they've won it, both as factory, but also privateer. Um And then Audi as well. And, you know, we're kind of taking the best bits of the hundred years and kind of doing like a homecoming tour kind of thing in the next few years them all coming back pretty much um yeah it it shows how special this is if all of these companies are willing to put down the money to um go forward with these top class overall win attempts and you know there's only going to be one winner so (laughs) there there's going to be a lot of angry oems and disappointed oems coming up
0: Exactly, and when we talk about the entry list later on today in this show and in the LMP1 preview later especially, people will realise, oh, there's actually only one manufacturer this year, and that's Toyota in the uh, LMP class. However, that's going to definitely change for the future. This is the birth of something that I think has got potential to be fantastic.
2: Yes, it, it is still in a bit of a confusing changeover kind of crossover period like we have the existing grandfathered, grandfathered LMP1 from um, what was the Rebellion which is now an Alpine um, which is kind of like a, a statement of intent for the future uh, potential um, for the Nissan um, it's, a, it's a kind of trifecta of, of OEMs you've got uh, Nissan, Renault and Mitsubishi now but, they, uh, but obviously Alpine in F1 is part of uh, Renault group. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there could be something there coming from Alpine. Um, mm-hmm. They've recently bought a brand new chassis from scratch um, for the 24 hours of Le Mans. Um, and, yeah, they mean business. Uh, from there, we have um, the uh, – so that, that's under the hypercar banner um which includes the existing LMP1s grandfathered the new Le Mans hypercar LMH cars and then the future LMDH cars so it'll be one class one category with different um regulation rule sets that cars are built to but all within supposedly the same performance window so they should be able to race against each other um now you mention it's kind of a touchy subject um only one factory manufacturer um one oem so we have the toyota carrying over with the gr010 i think um and uh that is the kind of continuation uh, lineage of the toyota tso50 just built to a new regulation rule set and then we have a brand new uh glickenhaus um competitor um which is uh, different in that it's not hybrid um it's just a twin turbo v8 on its own rather than the toyotas um twin turbo v6 with a front hybrid axle um but yes they claim Glickenhouse claims they are a um an oem they are a very small boutique manufacturer but they do make road cars
0: and they make a road I car
1: beat. I think Toyota will not be happy if you say it is a good <laughs> because of the car, because obviously it has a new engine, because they need to produce more power, now. and I think the most interesting thing will be how to see how the aero package will work at Le Mans and over the course of the season, because they only have one now, and last year with LMP1 they still had Le Mans body kicked, so I think that will that will make it interesting. And of because maybe some designed it more for Le Mans than others.
0: Yeah, and that's something I want to touch on a little later when we talk about, you know, how we balance this class and how we will balance it going forward. Um, but before we get to that, I want to talk about the stuff that's unique to Le Mans, stuff that you see at Le Mans that you don't see at other racing series and other racing 24-hour racing events that make this unique. Um, for me, the big thing about Le Mans is if, you, if something goes wrong with your car and you're stuck in the middle of the 13.6 kilometer circuit, you're done. You've got to fix it yourself or your race is over. And a lot, especially to people in America, they might hear that rule and go, What? That's bizarre. But I think it adds a great element to this race. With the,
2: isn't it the same with the, the Nürburgring 24, where you can kind of be put back on, on a truck? and taken back to the pits, and then you can still fix it and lose that lap that you didn't complete yourself under your own steam.
1: I you, know, so... you can, because once I saw one team brought a new tyre to car on the track somewhere. I don't know if it's still allowed, but it was that year. So that I might have been a bit
2: illegal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean... Well, they got away with it.
0: So. <laughs> well, that's, that's the thing at Le Mans, isn't it? There's always these stories of people of drivers getting out of their car working on it and then going oh there's a tool set here in the bushes or oh there's a spare wheel hiding behind this tree I might just go put that on my car but...
2: yeah and there was <laughs> uh, amazing footage uh, let's not forget the, the delta wing where the mechanics went to the other side of the fence and were trying to coach the driver on how to fix the car that was stranded um after it had a little coming together with the was it a Toyota and uh yeah, that was a bit of a a sad moment in yeah. the fields. It was a good where was you had to the driver.
0: Yeah, it was two hours of um of the driver it was Japanese. The Japanese driver, wasn't it?
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, Santoshi Motoyama, I think it was.
0: Yeah. He um yeah, just that for a good couple of hours, him just trying his hardest to get that car the few hundred meters he needed to get it to to get it to the pit lane.
2: Yeah, and you have all of these highs and lows and swings of emotions. Um, you know, you, you, it's quite harsh to watch. But, mm. you know, when you have the, the driver stranded uh, and, and they have to think on their feet, you know, every second counts, potentially. You know, we've had a car that's been coming from last place all the way through to the field to win uh, in 2017. So, you know, every second still counts when you're stranded out on the road. Yeah. And you you see these really bulky, blocky phones that they have taped to the door, you know, for when they're out in the middle of the forest away from the radio uh, signal. Um, And yeah, just trying their hardest. You know, they've got a little tiny toolkit of zip ties and tape and stuff, and they're just trying to get it home. Yeah. I mean,
1: sometimes you just get surprised because. I think remember? do you guys remember a couple of years ago, I think the loss the last year of BMW? We all thought it was dead. And all about like an hour later it suddenly appeared on the track again from somewhere behind the wall. Yeah. So it had a lab for more than an hour or something like that. Yeah. It
0: was yeah. crazy. Yeah. And I remember um one of the Audi drivers, it might have been Trillier, a long a while ago in the hybrid era. He binned the car at the most at one of the moissan chicanes got out just yeeted the bodywork off the thing and took it back to the pits just bare brute strength and then you get what those teams can do in their pits as well uh, we all think back to the days like audi with a five minute gearbox change and things like that these cars are built for things to go wrong when they have their 24 36 hour tests they practice things like simulating changes of gearboxes and brake pads and all this sort of stuff that you might need to change in an event. Clutches for Toyota, especially. Because I have a habit of failing on them. Too soon. (laughs) Never too soon. Cookie's not here. I can say what I want.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But what else is unique to this race? So we have the... the, Especially contrasting to the Spa 24 that was a couple of weeks ago. um, When the green flag falls um is the 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 pit strategies so at spa with the the sro style of doing things it's quite regimented where it's basically taking away pit strategy and having it more of a driver on driver skill contest um at le Mans, it brings in the the fuel strategy and the tire um, multi stinting tires so um they did a, a little bit where uh, in the world endurance championship where they could change tires and refuel at the same time and that took away um the advantage of being able to double stint your tires or triple stint or quad stint your tires um but now if you can uh because the the pit fueling can't be done with any work on the car the refueling in the pit lane can't be done with any work on the car then if you can avoid having to take a a tyre change and the time taken for a tyre change, then you can save however many seconds that is in, in, in the pits. If you do that four or five times, you could potentially save a lap. So um, it really, really brings into the strategy of multi-stinting your tyres.
1: Well, so tar- I want to add to that that you have to always remember that at the moment you have three safety cars. Because when you're planning your strategy, you should also account if it if it is smart, to pit at that moment because sometimes you can cut get behind by the other safety car and go a lap down.
0: And we saw it a couple of years so, ago where the GT race was basically over in the first hour because of when the safety cars fell and the strategy that unfolded in the pit lane.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, one of the GT cars I think two
1: cars were, were yeah. just gone.
0: Yeah, there were a safety car with the Porsches, wasn't it? There were a safety car ahead of everyone else and in the GT field as tight as it is, that was enough for them to win the
2: race. Well, it was tight at the time because the gap between first and second place was only a handful of seconds, and the safety car happened to pull out into that tiny gap. And then the gap between safety cars is, well, it, well it's a third of a lap in distance, but in terms of time, there's the time they're taking. It'd be good two and a half minutes. Yeah.
0: So yeah, that so that pretty much what paid to that race. Um, and also this this race, I think the most unique thing for me is just. Watching these cars go hammer and tongs for 24 hours in darkness, in complete darkness. Like, you have a good two thirds of the track with no lighting whatsoever. Just going through forest. It's for the most airy thing in motorsport, I reckon.
1: Yeah, I think Jensen Button said that the first time he drove Le Mans and it felt like he was driving 3,000 miles an hour on the street at night.
2: You have all the white lines. It kind of looks like hyperspace from. Star Wars or Star Trek. Well, both, I suppose. And uh, and you have all these really th- big bugs as well. That's something that um, Alan McNish talks about. So along the Mulsanne, uh, about two thirds down, there are a few little ponds and lakes. So there are just loads of bugs that are from that you know, open water and they go across the track and you just hit them each lap. And yeah, when they hit the screen, it's like loads of lines going up the screen and then when you uh put the wiper on if there's any water if there's any rain it just smudges them all over the place and you can't see so it is amazing and enchanting i've been lucky enough to be watching the track um of watching the race on the mulsanne straight um from one of the chicanes and there are lights on the chicanes um primarily for probably for gravel traps and helping the marshals remove cars um, because they're more likely to be off track in the corners. Um, but then they just disappear into the black of the forest and it is so spooky. Um, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah.
0: If you can find yourself a, an onboard stream throughout the race with no commentary of a P1 particularly, well, no hypercar now. I've got to stop saying P1 of a hypercar. If you can see it, get one of those. Get that up during the midnight hours. It's incredible viewing. Uh, anything else you want to mention before we move on, guys? Talk about the cars in this
2: race. So we have um, the drive time situation as well. Um, so for safety, they do um, a potential, uh, I think it's four in six um mm-hmm. so each car has three drivers um it'll be different in different other 24 hours you know like we mentioned Nürburgring 24 hour they have potentially more drivers per car um so here we just have the three and uh for safety the no driver can do more than four hours seat time or track time in six in a six hour window um and then we have um uh, bronze minimum drive times and silver driver minimum drive times so you don't uh, and and driver maximum drive times so you don't abuse um especially in the amateur classes having um too much of your professional in the car at one one point and making sure that your your amateur driver is in for a, enough time so you don't have a a situation like we've seen in the past uh, over in America where you have a an amateur that drives the car for one lap and then uh, wins the race because his or her co-driver carries the team across the line in first place. Yes. And I think when we get to some
0: teams we talk about in the AM class, there'll be a, um, you know, you'll definitely pick up those. There's actually a couple in the pro class as well, which you'll pick up a, okay, This because these guys have to do a good solid chunk of time, that's where this car is going to fall by the wayside. And we'll discuss that as we talk about the entry lists on later podcasts.
1: Yeah, to add to that, to the drive time, it's always, somehow, someone, almost always, gets us wrong.
0: Yes. And the penalties for getting it wrong are massive. They are race-ending and can absolutely cripple your 23 hours of hard work to find out you've been disqualified in the last hour or have
2: had a significant stop-go penalty in the last hour because you've got it so wrong. Or have the amount of drive time discrepancy added on to your race time or that yes so if you've missed out by three minutes um you're going to be put three minutes down from where you finished and that could be massive yes and we've seen it in the
0: past like with with some cars if they there's a rule in place now that never used to be there until Toyota died about finishing your last lap in a minimum time it used to be you were disqualified you were not classified but now
2: it's a I case that of was because of uh i think that was because of peugeot was where it? they tried to limp um with like a broken gearbox or like a broken drive shaft okay. or something and they just tried i think it was the uh, maybe they call it the baudet rule where they had a problem with the car and they tried to they they did hardly any laps you know they they were in the garage for a significant amount of time at the race, and they decided, okay, let's see the finish, because um, part of the magic is, you know, crossing the line with the man with the checkered flag mm. standing on the track, and they, they limped around super slowly with this broken car, and then suddenly, uh, after the year after, they added a minimum last lap time which uh, I can't remember exactly how that's calculated, whether that's um, an average race lap um, times one point something. Um, but I think it's around six minutes or so. And yeah, because Nakajima just started the lap when he broke down, that started the six minute countdown. And uh, even though he did finish the, the race uh, technically... Um, he was disqualified, and I believe they're not classified mm-hmm. uh, as a finisher because their last lap was over the six minutes. Yeah.
0: So that rule has changed now. It's just, you got a penalty, a significant one, to stop teams from doing it. Yeah, it was, so a 11 minute lap they did, which these days well, I think it quite, would equate to a 10 minute penalty. But when they, but back when that happened, it put them out of the race entirely. Um, but so. Keys to this race in with obviously don't fill your decks as you're doing 300k's down the Mulsanne straight in traffic at night. Make sure your car's running at the finish competitively. What? Make sure your pit stops are on point. Make sure you avoid getting to any shenanigans with slower cars, lap traffic, slower class traffic. Sounds easy, right?
1: Yeah, make sure <laughs> that the decisions the, the you follow up to is for a marshal and not for a driver.
0: Yeah. Let your clutch go, boom.
1: Yeah, oh, that happened so fast in 2017. It was like all was well for Toyota, and, and it went wrong. But it, it yeah. felt like five minutes, and all went wrong.
0: Yeah, and this place yeah. is full of those stories. Uh, we all think back. I can think back to the, when the, all the Porsches, not all the Porsches, all the Peugeots died. Um, yeah, and then and then you got the the year that. Of Audi's two massive accidents, then you had the uh, third Audi surviving to win. Flood just put something yeah, in it was, it
1: chat. The last laps.
0: Yeah, Flood just put in chat back in 1971, All the Ferraris died in one crash. So you know it, stories like that, and even more modern times. The um, what year was it that they had the uh, the Porsche against the LMP twos?
2: 2017.
0: 2017, of course.
1: 2017. So. Same year that Toyota's died. Yes. yes. Yeah. So had and the... like, Toyota had, in the 8 car, apparently, they had designed, the in a way, that was really difficult to change. Hmm. Because while he had a similar problem, Toyota took an hour longer to fix, which yep. took them out of the running. And I think, I think the NMP2 car was overtaken but like an hour left or something like that on the clock. Yeah.
2: It was only a lap difference. Um, between the winning P2 uh, and the winning overall. Yeah. So
0: this race can
1: throw you up...
2: You can also...
0: Almost won the
1: model <laughs> overall.
0: Yes. That's weird to say. In the second class. That's almost as weird as the GTE Pro car winning at... Um, Red Radimer- Atlanta. Yeah. That's never happened before. All right, so we're talking about the cars, gentlemen. So we, uh, we alluded to it before... Uh, the LeMond Prototype Hypercar. It's a new car. So, yeah, the hypercars is a new class for this year. Uh, taking over from an LMP1 category that was getting a bit over... Like, I guess what's the word? Like over... Not over budget. Right. Uh, Sorry? Over-engineered. Over-budget. Over-budget. Over budget Yeah. And, budgeted. And yeah. long in the tooth. It had been around for a good decade. In the hypercar, yes, in, in the um, hybrid area, which has given us some fantastic racing. I mean, the Porsche, Toyota, Audi battles that we had—three different cars, three different solutions—all coming to the same result—with some of the best endurance racing you're ever going to see. But like everything in life, it was time to move on, and what we've got now is this hypercar class, which is in its infancy and is such an interesting rule set for a number of reasons. Um, We talked about the teams before. Uh, We have the Toyota with their hybrid-powered GR010. We have the Team Alpine, which is running a grandfathered LMP1 from last year, which was previously run by Rebellion. And then we have Glickenhaus with their hypercar regulations build of a twin turbo v6 so again we've got three cars with three very unique ways of of adhering to regulations and balancing these three cars is proving an absolute nightmare sort of sort of <laughs> do you want to do you want to go speak to a bit speak to why we have balanced performance in the first place because that's a term that i know a lot of people despise
2: so it, it it's changing it's a little bit um of a a shift in the way that they want to go racing so um before it was more of a technological development arms race whereas now is uh more of a a brand showcase let's say so um this is the the model in gt racing that has become really successful over the past um couple of decades And especially with the GTT strength in depth. Uh, And and the idea is it's creating an arena for brands to go and, you know, knock the shit out of each other, to put it simply. Um, The brands, they love this. Um, They want to go up against the top brands in the marketplace and say, you know, we beat them last weekend kind of thing um it's something that the people who are fans of the brand like to follow and um you know potentially get bragging rights um and when they are so close together um thanks to balance of performance then um yeah you're going to get more um, wheel-to-wheel action um beforehand you know the time gaps were pretty big even still, when you mentioned the racing was close, the time gaps on track were still pretty big. I I've always remember um, Truth in 24, I think it was the first one, where the Peugeots were pulling out um, three seconds a lap on just on pace. So then they, they had to then win it on strategy. Um, we aren't supposed to have that issue um, now. Um, if the balance of performance works, there's got a lot riding on on it. Um,
1: balance of performance is, I think, we people who are really invested in it understand it and want to know what it is, but also think the benefit is for the series is that the more casual fans probably don't care, and yeah. the fact that they don't care makes it more attractive for the OEMs to join because they just think you're better that you have won, and not that you maybe had an overpowered Bob on accident, a BOP on accident. Yeah. They just don't know.
0: Yeah. Now, let's not uh, forget as well that the BOP for the hypercast has been written at a point where they're actually trying to slow the class down from where the LMP ones were. Uh, They've said this a few times now in different guises, that they want to have a lap time 3.30 during the race for the top class. Any faster than that is allegedly unsafe. Um, you can be your own judges on that. With some of the P1s, we're getting qualifying times around 316. What was it that record? 316.7, I think? Or oh, 314.7, thanks, bud. I knew it was For qualifying. For qualifying, yes. For race, you might be right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But, the, but the aim is to... And this had knock-on effects on the other classes as well. the The issue I have with the BOP, the way it's set up is... One of the three cars can't physically be BOP to the requirements. The
1: fuel... So I just the fastest lap is a three, uh, 17.297. There you
0: go. So e- either way, they're trying to slow this class by a good 13 seconds around Le Mans. So the BOP is going to be more, you know, it's reduced power. It's more regulations of the hybrid. For example, Toyota can't use their hybrid in the pit lane anymore. I believe that's correct.
1: Uh, I think they can't use it at all. Below 120 kph.
0: There you go. And that was where the LMP1s were actually strongest. The hybrid LMP1s were strongest because they could deploy their hybrid out corners and just blast past everybody.
1: With a rational yeah, four-wheel drive, then. Because yes. Because now hybrids can only power the front wheels. Yes, indeed. But so that's also a change. Yes. Um,
0: but that's what I was saying, so, yeah, the... The... the uh. Alpine, which is a LMP1 car, has a 70 litre fuel tank. The BOP say, has been saying they need a 95 litre fuel, fuel tank. That doesn't work.
2: It does. It's just they need to fill up the, another time. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, or cut their uh, car in half. Or cut the...
1: <laughs> to be honest, I just think that's a problem of grandfathering, because when you devised rules for hypercars and you design the cars around it, I think it's difficult to say to the OEMs who have joined, say like, well, you need to get less fuel because the NMP, one car that still is here, can't get the same fuel in the tank. Like, I don't think that will work.
2: You're never going to design a brand new regulation that's going to last several years, potentially a decade. Um, if they stretch it out you're not going to base a regulation rule set on an outgoing car that will only last one more year you know so the, the the Alpine team they knew what they were getting in they knew what they were getting in for they can try and um, alter the refueling rate in their um, refueling system, to kind of counteract it, I've 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 written about this um, a few times in options that they can take to equalise it. You know, they could allow them to drive faster um, back in their LMP1 days as a privateer with Rebellion. You know, the car can drive faster, so do they let it drive faster so then it will create a lead and then be reined back in when it has to do an extra fuel stop? They could do it that way, but then they make their hypercars look slow. Um, love they will never allow it to happen. Yeah, they could okay. reduce their pit their pit stop time by having a faster refueling, so then, yeah, sure, they're driving into the pit lane one more time, two more times, three more times, but they can pit faster. But then that defeats the object of the Toyota hybrid uh, fuel efficiency look because why how, uh, you know um, it looks like they're taking less fuel because they're refueling faster kind of thing. Yeah, they're taking a lot more fuel.
1: Yeah, but then only only that. It's like the, the LMP1 car is a couple of years old. In theory, it should be re- reliable. Element. and we all have already seen that hypercars aren't really that. And but if now, you put that in a twenty-four hour race. It's like, I think the other way will see it giving it to them on the silver platter, And you make them faster and they're more reliable or they have shorter bits of times and they're more reliable. Difficult to sell.
0: Yeah, that's fair. And I think you touched, so we got to touched on before. This isn't about building a regulation for cars from the past. It's about building regulations for the cars of the future. And we look at, you know, the cars that we're going to get in this class in the years to come. Uh, Ferrari coming in with with a hypercar you know an out and out hypercar built to hypercar regulations it seems like the whole of Volkswagen Audi group are getting cars built to LMDH regulations which are the regulations that have been adopted in America cheaper, you know a cheaper way of racing in the top class and there's been all these talks of other manufacturers coming in, coming out, are they in, are they not I think at some point there was as many as eight to 10 manufacturers expressing interest in this class in one way or another. So these regulations, these balanced performance has been written not to deal with the LP,
2: but to deal with the cars that are coming. And that's what we should be excited for. Point. Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, it, and, you know, it is still an interim yeah, a stopgap kind of s- scenario we have next year. Then when with more hypercars coming in, then it will start to feel like a proper proper fight at the top yeah. again.
1: I yeah. think one of the things I'm most curious about is what's going to happen with the tyres. Because we have an LMH car, the Toyota, who has the front wheel hyper, hybrid power at some points in the lap. Then we have an NMH car from Grickenhaus, which is totally rear-wheel drive. And the H is also rear wheel drive. So how are they going to balance that with the, tire, with the tires? Well, that would Could be interesting. P- and we also don't know what the other manufacturers are going to do in animation because, as far as I know, they don't have to use the front wheel. I'm not They sure. don't
2: have to. It's a, it's a, it's a choice. So originally the, let's remember the the Valkyrie project. The road car is a hybrid, but the race car concept originally was not. So um, there are different choices that you can make uh, to whether that be to reduce complexity so things can go wrong. um, But also if your uh, gearbox goes wrong or engine or something like that, then you can limp home on your um, hybrid system. Um, So there are loads of different risk reward kind of um, things you've got to balance um and one of those things is the the comparison between the risk of reliability for the hybrid system um but then the reward from that is a potentially better tire life for your front tires and and rear tires because you're sharing the load between the front and rear um we we saw at the debut of the House at um, Portimao, how, how they were really struggling on the tyres in terms of potentially overheating the rear and not getting the fronts up to temperature, so sliding around all over the place and an unstable car. So um, it's difficult, it's political. Toyota are going to try and get as much tyre advantage as they can out of the system that they've gone down, whereas if we'd see... Ferrari going down the rear I don't expect them to do this but if we see them you know do rear axle only or or another more prominent than Glickenhaus manufacturer do rear only then they would have a lot more uh, political bargaining weight behind their words Um, but obviously we've also got Peugeot that are doing a, a hybrid front axle so with no wing they've also got a bar- <laughs> bargaining power because they're french
1: yeah um, yeah but we have Audi porsche with adam vdh will be only rear wheel drive so that's also a big group that probably can lobby
0: yeah. yeah so so this class has got a really intriguing future so for the casual fan this year or the new fan and the hypercar class might not be where you spend most of your time watching uh but they are the fastest car driven by some of the best drivers in the world So, even if it's not your main class you follow this year, do keep an eye on it. I think I wanted to move on to the next pro class that we've got here. Uh, The only other pro class. GTE Pro. This is where we find most of the best drivers apart from one. With some of the most desirable road cars that we've got. Now, this class is a bit smaller this year. Uh, with only eight cars from three manufacturers, but it is still stacked with quality. You've got four Porsche 911s, two Chevrolet Corvettes, and two Ferrari 488s. And you've touched on it before, the BOP in this class this year has been nothing short of phenomenal.
2: Thoughts, gentlemen? Until the Corvette comes in. Until the Corvette that's comes the, in. Kind of, yeah, that's the... And also that it's Le Mans and not a normal wet ground but uh
1: yeah
2: well, the last couple
1: of years good. has been good Telemann.
0: yeah we should talk about this so right? why only eight cars this year why have we seen such a decrease
1: well most of the OEMs are gone so yeah. Aston Martin pulled out for this year so that's one left i think the previous layer was BMW, BMW that pulled out Oh, I think and, he pulled out at the same Ford. time with Ford. Or about yeah. the same time. So in the last few years, we've seen
0: Ford pull out. They had four cars here at Le Mans. BMW have taken their dumpster fire and run home with their tail between their legs. And as you mentioned, Aston Martin have pulled the pin recently as well. So that's, what's that, eight to ten cars that we'd normally see in this class that we don't see anymore.
1: There's been and a lot. And also we have only, only one Ferrari two for us this year, and yeah. normally we have EC who always joined in E Pro, but mm. now in lmp 2 so that's also...
0: Yeah. So, this... We talked about uh, Hypercar being in the uh, birth of something. Are we seeing GTE at the end of its life cycle? And where do we go from here, if we are?
1: I think oh, yeah. Pro is dying. I think Pro... Only Pro is... The one I think will be gone in a few years. I think there will be enough GTM cars left to still keep that running for a couple of years. Okay. And
0: I guess the question is, where do we go from there? Because at the moment, we see in uh, America, they're going with a GT3 Pro, you know, GT3 cars with Pro drivers in. Is that the future for this class? We're not sure. I'm not sure if that's the way they should go.
2: Not yet. Mm. And what do you say? I think uh, I. So I think that IMS has jumped the gun a bit in America, because if there's a an OEM that's kind of on the fence about doing a LMDH, um, you know, putting a little bit more budget than Pro GT um, forward, they're probably less likely to do it if they can get to Le Mans with a Pro GT 3 entry. Um, you know, they won't have to go through the expense of designing a car. Um, yeah, I, I I think it would have to wait and coincide until LMDH has started racing um, for Pro GT to go away. I still think GTE has a future, um, whether that just be in, Amateur, pro-am formats. So then, um, we have this wealth of chassis in amateur hands at the moment. Um, I think that will continue. You have amateurs who've bought these cars and they want to make the most of their investments. And uh, telling them they can't, they're not allowed to race them anymore, Um, especially in the form of the Porsches, because the uh, Aston Martins and Ferraris can be converted to GT3s. Um, but regardless if you tell them straight away, oh by the way next year you're you're not your car's not allowed to be raced um it's a massive two things up to your loyal customers um so I think we'll see the shift from g t pro to the top class and you know those stable of drivers, and maybe some of those drivers then would go split to supporting the amateur teams um and then when this life cycle of gte cars is finished then the other question of what do we do after this do we do just standard gt3s Uh, or do we still have the um not not restrictive nature um but the upgrade let's say on gt3s Uh, performance-wise, but to have it at a much more uh, economically responsible um, way of going through things. So maybe just a a little small aero upgrade, like a different diffuser and a different rear wing, but it's based on a GT3 car. Um, So you still have the more manageable numbers uh, of manufacturers rather than just opening it a free-for-all. You know, we won't be able to fit an SRO, you know, SPAR 24, pro, uh, um, SPAR 24 style grid in half of the grid for the Le Mans 24 outs. There just isn't space.
1: Yeah, um, I think the only thing I disagree with you about is that IMSA jumped the gun. Because I don't think IMSA jumps the gun just because of the fact that they probably knew that GGE wouldn't be gone on the map. So you don't lose those OEMs to the GTE Pro class or something similar that they don't go to LMDH of LMH because of the fact they still have to if they want to go to the Mans. So I think they probably took that into account, okay. I would imagine.
0: Okay. Now, we've talked about the class being, you know, at, its, at a potential in its dying days. That doesn't detract from the fact that this class is going to give us some spectacular racing, with even just with the eight cars. We've got the two AF Corsa Ferraris, which is basically the Ferrari factory team. You've got the two Porsche GTs from WEC, the Porsche GT team. Adding to that, you've got the two Corvettes from America, Harbordeaux Racing, racing a Porsche, and WeatherTech Racing, also racing a Porsche. Of the three marks of car we've got, which one do you think is going to be the best suited around here wait until test day (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of the
2: answer i was coping for because he can't really tell with these with gt pro and you can't really tell from test day because they're kind of all holding the cards close to their chest Mm. we've got to wait until hyperpole
0: yeah so that's the day before the race because these cars what was the margin of victory at the recent race we had they're all within what 30 seconds of each other, I think. That was after an eight hour race. Yeah, GTE Pro, we had the six hours of Monza. All the GTE cars in that race finished on the same lap. After six hours of racing at one of the fastest circuits we've got. So it's probably a pretty good analogue for what we're going to get at the Mon.
2: There you have it. I, I have a, a sneaky feeling about hub auto racing. Okay. But a full season car, like, I really can't get past the Pro Horses or the 51. Yep, I can tell you like one those key...
0: three. Yeah, I can tell you one car it won't be, but I'll save that for another day. <laughs> <laughs> um Hiding in plain sight. I just <laughs> yeah. want
1: to say never say never because it's still it's still the man and with some luck, I guess your safety car on the white right time because the other two drivers in that car is like i i can't count it i do if you yeah. have the right amount of luck they can win
0: yep and i would also tend to favor the uh, teams that regularly race as well so regularly racing the wec um in terms of pick strategy pit procedures they're just going to be more finely tuned in that as well so that's where you're looking at your af course the cars and your porsche gt team full wec entries so we'll take a quick break and we'll be back on the other side with uh the
2: prices. This podcast is proudly supported by The Racing Line. The Racing Line is a motorsport calendar and notification app for iPhones and iPads. It includes all major series, with more being added all the time, giving you a daily and weekly list of races so you can easily see what's coming up. All events are converted to your local time zone, so you no longer have to faff around adding or taking away hours to work out start times in your area. Finally, it also lets you customise notifications for events, so you can choose when you're notified about certain race series. The app is available on the iOS App Store. Just search for The Racing Line. Find out more at www.theracingline.app Now,
0: back to the podcast. So far we've talked about two classes in the race, the two smaller classes. Now we have... The classes were the amateur driver races, LMP2 and GTM. Before we get stuck into them, though, I want to talk about why is the amateur driver important at a race like Le Mans? What are they? What are they, History. What are they for?
2: History. You know, um, we've mentioned the 1923 is the first race. Um, partly, it was well. Back then, the only people who could afford these cars were wealthy individuals. So they go and take their brand new toy and go racing with it. This is kind of uh, an equivalent of that, where you have wealthy individuals who want to go racing. So they acquire a car and they go racing with it.
1: Yeah, and we yeah. See- but they made it more complicated for this year. <laughs> but we'll, we get into that later.
0: Yeah, and we've seen some pretty famous amateur drivers race here. Um, those of you who support the evil team of Manchester United would know Fabian Barthes. He's raced here, in an LMP2, no less. Uh, Nick Mason, drummer f- from from Pink Floyd, was he drummer? Yes, drummer. He's raced here. Um, you get Patrick Dempsey. He's raced here uh, in a G- in a GTE Porsche.
1: So it's not just. Um, uh, I think the... Paul Newman is possibly the most famous one.
2: Mm. Yep. Did he get second place one one time? Uh, Maybe it was a class second place.
1: I think it was overall. The class was first. Ah, uh, Okay. Not yeah. bad. Oh, it up.
0: Yeah, and and people like you know, they, I mean, there's been a movie made about this place, and the actor in that movie, Stephen Queen, almost raced here until they told him no, you can't.
1: First
0: yeah, yeah. second overall. Yeah. So there's there's three types of drivers that are going to pop up in this M class that we're going to talk about. You're going to have, and I should preface this by saying that drivers are rated either platinum, gold, silver, or bronze by the FIA based on their experience, their skill, what they've raced, how they've performed, and all the you know throughout their career. Amateur drivers are rated silver and bronze. Uh, And like I said, you'll see three classes of driver here. You'll see those who just turn up wanting to have a good day out in a car they own. You'll see those who are up and coming in the world of motorsport. And, you know, they're generally termed super silvers because they're rated silver drivers by the FIA. So they'll be young up and comers like Porsche Junior drivers, things of that nature. And then you get the old races, the guys who are at the other end of their cycle who are just out there having a having a lot of fun um like think back to martin brundle racing with alex brundle for example that sort of thing and at least a really interesting set of drivers and of course you pair those up with some of the best pro drivers in the game as well and we talked about it before they uh the challenge of this class is having the amateur in the car for as little as possible to give you the best chance of winning this race.
2: And the amateur driving... Unless, can the, have, un, <laughs> unless, unless th- the amateur is uh, faster than one of the pros. Which does happen which sometimes. we have seen. <laughs> which, we, which we have seen. And
0: generally your super silvers might be that. Uh, so I want to get stuck into the LMP2 class. So uh, Ollie, you want to explain what this 25 car class is all about?
2: Yeah, so um, an LMP2 is more of a spec. Um, Well, it is a spec series um, to reduce cost. And uh, so there are four different chassis to choose from. Um, Doesn't look like it on this entry list anymore. (laughs) Um, But but, uh, no, all but one are based on the Orica 07. So they're all going to look pretty identical um, bar paint scheme um, and uh, yeah so all have the same engine um, which is a, um, a Gibson V8 it's a it's a very cost effective way to go racing and these cars are bloody quick when you put the pro drivers in um, they're as fast as the fastest cars were a decade ago
1: um, and, uh, also for the LMP2s yeah. Also new for uh, this year.
2: Yes, yes. Um, so uh, this class is split r- roughly in half um, based on the driver rankings, but we'll come on to that later. Um, these cars have been slowed, um, as you mentioned, um, a bit. So they have a bit less power. Um, they've been stuck for the whole year, Um in their low-drag aero kit, uh, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that doesn't matter, because they're at Le Mans where they want to use it anyway. Um, We don't have a tyre war anymore, but that's um, by the by added detail. Um, We all have Goodyear tyres on on these cars. Um, And uh, if you happen to see um, an Aurus on the entry list, that's just an Aurica. Uh, they've just put a different name badge on it. Yeah. They've just got
0: a different um, name badge and angry Russian driving. That's all that means. Um, Now, you mentioned there that the class is sort of split into two. So for the first time this year, we have a uh, pro-am uh, division in the P2 class. Uh, Bajok, you want to explain what that what that's about? Because it's not really pro-am, is it? Yeah,
1: yeah you could call it, I think, pro am M because NFP2 should be pro-am the basis already but basically it turns out that people have money and are not silver drivers because they're older or not that good want to have something for their efforts and if they get yeah, getting defeated by silver drivers which most of the time are also super silvers well you get annoyed if you put a lot of your own money into it so <laughs> they want to win something for themselves against competitors uh, more or less equal to them. And that's why we now have uh, the Pro-Am classes.
0: Yeah. And that's not to say these Pro-Am classes won't find themselves at the pointy end of the field. Um, look at some of those Pro-Am teams and they will quite often find themselves on the podium of the P2 class overall.
1: Yeah, some have even won overall. Yes, absolutely. Like uh, RTM, Racing Team Nederland. Yeah. they one at Fuji, uh, I think it was. So they can win, it's just unlikely because, yeah, the bronze drivers are most of the time slower. But with a bit of luck, control of others, catches the right safety cast. it is possible, but not likely.
0: Yeah. So just looking at this entry list of 25 LMP2 machines, uh, 24 in the Orica, one in the Legia, uh, which is an interesting car on its own have a look you have you look through that list and there's a few team names that I think will stick out to people who even if they've just got a casual interest in sports car racing will never recognize the first one of those is united Auto Sports. the ollie united Autosports, sports they're they're a class unit aren't
2: they yeah I mean they've turned into turned themselves into kind of like we call a evil empire because they're just so bloody good like they won. Almost, I think they've won every race they started in P2 in a calendar year window, time window. Okay. Um, they basically just had, they had perfect races where they had fastest lap or perfect race weekends where they had fastest laps in every session and won the race um, and got pole position. So they are a proper outfit. They've got a very, very, very good silver Um which is rare to follow up having two very good silvers back-to-back, basically doing what another team will mention next. Um, B-Drive um, also used to do. Um, they've four silvers in a row now, pretty much, that are, are really good. Um, so, yeah, United Autosports, they are pretty much the favourites going into this, I'd say.
0: Yep. And for those wondering, United Autosports is, is Zach Brown, basically. Uh Guy who guy who's CEO of McLaren. This is his team. So um, yeah, and
1: someone else. Uh, who was it again? Ollie, do you know? Richard Dean, Richard Dean. Yes. Ah, yep.
0: awesome. Um And and that empire is actually expanding as well. Yes, they have got their fingers in the pie in Supercars Land with and Andretti United, and it also in the entry back into the GT three world as well. So it's an ever expanding empire for that team. Allegedly, it's just GT four now. I think. Uh, allegedly, that's the thing with that's the thing with these McLaren entries, and everything's allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> you can't always take Zach Brown on his word. Uh, we'll, and see. we'll see. So they've got three cars here, um, which they actually all earned through auto invites uh, because of their performances. I think they could enter as many as six cars in this race if they wanted, because of how they performed in various championships around the world. Pretty taken much a... underlines United yeah. Autosports, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's,
1: that's I pretty I don't much... think we used to call G-Drive Racing the evil empire. Yes. They were never that dominant.
0: Exactly. We should talk about G-Drive because they've got their two cars here and in they're in their not an Orca, their Aorus 01. as uh, like you mentioned, they've always been the evil empire, but this year they've sort of taken a bit of a turn. Um, They have one Pro-Am and one Pro-Car. And they don't really excite me this year as much as they have in previous years. I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on that.
2: I don't know. It, it's kind of hot and cold. We, we, we've we seen flashes of absolute brilliance with their um, more competitive car. Um, it's kind of weird. They have their pay driver got uprated to a gold. So then they've got to find uh, an up-and-coming young driver who doesn't necessarily need budget um, to pay for their seat so they can afford to pay for the best silver and they've found a teenager called Franco Colapinto who is doing single seater stuff and uh, he's
0: going he's to rip this he's, race he's apart. made
2: some mistakes he's made some key mistakes but also has been really 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 racy so and also they've got Nick DeVries who is bloody quick so yeah we'll see yeah, do it...
1: you drivers know, think colapinto does yeah, should make mistakes. That's needed. And Rusinov. Yeah, Rusinov is like... It what right. not was On his good day, he can be a gold. Because he can be that quick. But on his best best day, he's one of the worst silvers. in my opinion. Yeah, Roman Rusinov
0: is so the team, team owner. depends
1: on which one we get.
0: Yeah, he's the team owner. The reason this is G-Drive, the reason that the car's are an Auris. And also, we should mention as well that just complete sidebar. Part of Russia's ban from all-world sport. These cars are actually from the Russian Automobile Federation. They're not Russian. Allegedly. Allegedly. So that's always a team to... Even though their form hasn't been great this year, that's always a team to watch. Another big team is Jota Autosport. Uh, they have two cars in this year. And anything Jota touch usually turns out pretty darn well. Ollie, you... Yeah. I, <laughs>
1: Yeah, they ran the cars when they finished uh, second and third overall.
0: Yes, they ran the Jackie Chan DC cars. I didn't have one. their
1: name, but it was them.
0: Yes, Jackie Chan DC cars 2017. They were the team. The guys who ran the team. So Jota, you can never count out. Uh, who else yeah. on that entry list do you think is worth, it, worth a shout-out? W-R-T. WRT. definitely, definitely. So WRT, for those new to us, they're a team that has raced, basically been the Audi team in GT3 racing for many, many years. They've come along to this P2 class and absolutely taken it by storm. Just with the
2: one entry, but it's a powerful entry. Pretty much, well, they're definitely in the WEC entry, bankrolled by Audi. um, And that is because Audi are going to be using WRT, at least, for their... um, LMDH future. Um, and this kind of goes in hand in hand with potentially with what Jota Sport are going to be doing in future as well, which is why they're just so professional. They are um, marketing themselves a- a- and practicing as professional outfits. So um, that's why these guys are at the front.
0: Hmm. Uh, the reason we're not going fit through drivers, by the way, is because when we saw this with Spa, there's Tends to be a lot of driver changes leading up to the week of the race just because of travel restrictions and teams and drivers not being able to get from place to place. So, if we don't go through the drivers today, that's why. But that driver lineup for the WRT car is a really interesting lineup. And you've got a good combination of experience and Robert Kubica. Kubica?
1: And then. Yeah, you... I think the 30, 41 might be the weaker of the two just because of the fact they haven't run with the Le Mans Hmm. Arrow kit yet
0: yeah and the notable name of the 31 you've got Robin Frins from E and all sorts of other things as well as yeah as well as a uh, couple of solid amateur drivers but really uh, Ferdinand
1: isn't really an amateur
0: (laughs) yeah exactly and Ferdinand Hasberg
1: is also from single seater. so uh...
0: yeah so through the six top drivers they have, they'll get a car close to the podium as well. I think a team for me as well that actually might surprise a few is A.C. Bratislava. They're a entry, but they're a very solid entry.
1: So a so real on. dark horse is probably high-class Racing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, high-class with their two cars this year. Normally they have one in the WEC, but they've got two cars along for them on. Um... The usual car with Ricky Taylor from America in there, and their Le Mans only entry has some young bloke called Kevin Magnuson, and his, and he's bringing his dad along for the ride. Ute, <laughs> so that's that's a team worth following, and you talked about them before. Risi Competizione, uh, forever a Ferrari GTE Pro team. They've come along this year with a P2, which looks great. And the driver lineup that we're going to talk about looks even better than the car looks, with Felipe Neza and Oliver Jarvis. So, th- anywhere you look throughout this field is quality teams, quality drivers. So, and with 25 of the cars as well, picking a winner, you might as well just pick, pick a dartboard and throw darts at that, see what you end up with.
2: they are going to be battles all the way through, mm. you know, regardless if it's for the win or for 10th place, you know, there's always going to be action throughout the mm-hmm. 24 hours, uh, all the way through the field. So you could you could enjoy have an enjoyable race just following LMP2 if you wanted. And also, uh, on the other hand, it means getting a top 10 finish in this field is still like a really hard thing to do and something worth celebrating about.
0: Yep. So with a class that's as competitive in this, as this process. is, how do you win? Uh, not
1: no making mistakes. Any mistakes? Mm-hmm. Not breaking down to bad luck, not getting crushed into. Also yep. important. Like you are basically you need to have almost all the luck in the world and making no mistakes, and then you have a chance, and that's not even sure you're going to win.
0: Absolutely. It's as yep. close. Yep, and this will be. For me, this is going to be the pick of the classes of this race. Um, and I can't wait to go into detail on that in a little future podcast because 25 cars is a race on its own right. Some creventic grids aren't that big. And that's huh. one class of four here at Le Mans. Uh, we should actually talk about... I've talked about the 25 LMP2 cars. Technically speaking, there's 26. And this, again, is one of the unique things about Le Mans one spot on the grid is always reserved for cars which they call innovative car. So, you know, alternative fuel sources. We've seen Nissan in, in the past bring in a Delta wing, which was this really long pointy thing with skinny front tyres and and it was a really unique approach. Then they brought a, a fully electric version to the race later on, which did a lap and then stopped working. But over the last... Last two times we've seen this innovative car, it's been run by Frederick Sassay, which is a name no one will probably recognise. But he's, correct me if I'm quadruple amp- amputee?
2: Yes. Yes. So, yes.
0: you've got some guy here racing, uh, he, he raced here with no arms and no legs. And this year, he's got a whole team of drivers like that.
2: And... Yeah, so um, th- this car it 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 it's carrying on from what Frederick so say raced um several years ago. He had a I think it was a Morgan LMP2 before all the cars were closed-topped. So he had um like a a crane um lowering him in his seat into the car and then uh, he had a um a hook connector on his arm that he could Connect to the steering wheel, and then steer with that. And then with his other hand, he had hand controls for the for the brakes and throttle. Um, it will be something similar this time with the, the two of the three um, drivers. Uh, I can't remember which. Um, is it Ni- Nigel Baye, who's the the um, who doesn't have a an impairment? Uh, uh, no,
1: nice exactly. uh, for a was
2: my uh it's um name. it's it's uh francois Aereo i recognize him now from yeah. um uh, elms stuff i think um and uh yes yeah, so this association srt 41 car is it is an oraca o7 but it's been modified a bit and um yeah it won't be as competitive on lap times. That's why it has um, it's got some lights on it to to show um, that it's uh, a different class, as it were, for the cars driving around it. Uh, and um, you'll see probably uh, cameras on it in in the pits. Uh, so they go into the garage and um, they have to take some of the car apart to make sure that the driver's in the right place. And they, I think they maybe strap or not necessarily strapped but position his the, the driver's feet inside the the car um so so this they they will fall back on pace in terms of the rest of the LMP2s um both on track potentially and in the pits
1: yeah so the two yeah, it, it's a win if they finish
2: yes and that's, that's and, a... and that's the point of this
0: of this 62 this in, innovative car just getting them to the finish will be an amazing effort um the two drivers that we've talked about uh Nigel Bailey He's a paraplegic after a um after a I think it was a motocross accident. And Takuma Aoki, who's actually a former Grand Prix motorcycle racer, who's also wheelchair bound. So, you know, he's paralyzed below the waist. Yeah. So, you know, when you think about driving a car, what you use your legs are you know, quite extensively. So to be able to Adapt a car to do that, then adapt a race car to do that, while doing 300k's down the Mosan is an amazing feat. And just this car, the fact that this car exists, just gives me warm fuzzies inside.
2: It's a real feel-good story. It is.
0: And it's what the world needs right now. Um, so yes, so while that car won't be competitive, it'll be a fun watch. So we should move on now. We've got one more class to talk about and that's our LMGTE AM class. This is another ridiculously strong class with 23 cars. Uh Jock, Why don't you tell us what the GTE AM class is all about?
1: Uh GTE AM it's basically mostly people with a lot of money who want to race. Um, well, the, most of the GTE cars are old GT Pro cars, which sometimes are newly built, but most of the time they are a year behind. And sometimes you can team up, because you need a silver and a bronze at minimum, so people could team up to pay for it, but most of the case it is one bronze that pays for all of it. So then you get possibly a factory driver if you have the money for it, Try to look for a young professional, they call it, so basically a super silver. And uh, yeah, try to win the championship and Le Mans. Is, I think, how explain it in short. Yeah. And this Did is Should we like... like, also explain drivers, waiting for a bit how they work? Yeah, sure. Because, mostly for the drivers, most of the bronze drivers you see, uh, at least the GDM. Are people who start started after they're 30. So if you're older than 30 years old, when you get a racing license, you will always, at most of the time, always be classified as a bronze driver. Even though you might be faster. Which is one of the reasons Ben Keating, which is one of the drivers of this class, is possibly weird as a bronze, because some people say he sometimes he is at the space of a silver. But you will never be upgraded. Also, you could have the fact that I think it was if you are fifty years old, you get downgraded for the first time. For example, you are a professional driver. So if you then, if you are gold, they will downgrade to silver, and at fifty-five, then you again get downgraded to a bronze. So that's how you can sometimes see old professional drivers also in those M cars in lower positions. I think that's the most important part. Yeah. Anyone else something to add which I've forgot about the twelve ratings? Oh yeah, under thirty, they are almost always silver. You can't be bronze unless you just started out, which got out. I think it was one of the iron links cars got cut out by it earlier.
0: Yeah, yes, yeah, so where there was a um, so the, one of the iron links cars runs was trying to run an all well still runs an all female crew. Uh, however they had a driver named who Is Hawkey. Yeah, is May Hawkey who they put down she was bronze on the paperwork, a bronze rated driver. But no she was not. Whoops.
2: So, um we still don't I don't think we still quite know whose fault that was. Her agent, yep. who I think has previously raced at Le Mans himself. Oh boy. So driver uh, thinking Mark Blundell. <laughs> oh,
1: good lord. Well, it was at least his agency. Don't know if yes. he himself was involved, but <laughs> it was his company that uh yeah, screwed up.
0: Yeah, so uh driver ratings very important get them right. And we have 23 cars here, so the the cars in this class come from three marks. You got the uh Porsche 911 uh same these, now these cars are the same spec as you would see in gte pro because they are now a year, over a year old you can have the porsche 911 the aston martin vantage amr which is what we lost from the pro class but they're one two three four of them in am this year and then the porsche 911 and the ferrari 488 gte with which there's truckloads and you look at this entry list, the 23 cars, and there's so many names, so many team names that that you're probably familiar with more from other motorsports, other types of motorsport. Uh, the one that sticks out to me like that is Herbeth Motorsport, entering in Le Mans for the first time.
1: Yeah, it feels weird seeing them there.
0: Yeah, Herbeth Motorsport are a team that have raced Nürburgring for what, it seems like hundreds Kriventic, of years. And I think. And Creventic as well. For what seems like hundreds most
1: people of years. Know them from
0: Yeah, and they're giving the a go, which is great to see. Uh, we have teams such as Rinaldi Racing coming over from their GTE, GT three campaign. You've got, you know, in the in, in a Ferrari, you've got teams like James W, who are, a, how would you describe them? Like a. ELMS team that always comes over to Le Mans.
2: You... Yeah, and they, yeah. Won it, uh, they won it a couple of years ago as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And you have teams, you've got a Chinese team this year, Absolute Racing. Uh, I think this is their first crack at Le Mans as well.
1: Yeah, I think they were supposed to go last year, but yeah. uh, COVID threw that one up.
0: Yep, um, so, they've, so you know, they're, they're making a the jump over. And it's great to see those Asian teams. They're here obviously because of their performances in the Asian Le Mans series. And it's always just great to see those Asian flag teams come over here. Um, there was one that we didn't talk about in LMP2 Racing Team India Eurasia, which is not Team India anymore because of COVID. But they were planning to bring in all, all Indian and in COVID because Indians can't get there. Uh, yeah, but mainly because of money. <laughs> true, true. But they were planning to run three. They, they were planning to run three Indian drivers at this race. Um. So and so, just having that greater representation is always a great thing. Now we throw to that the cars that are traditional WEC entries. We talked about them before. Iron Lynx with their with their two cars this year, uh, one of which is the Iron Dames, so it's all female crew. Three yeah. cars this year. Uh, three cars this year. You're right. Three cars. They've got the uh, two WC entries and their third entry, which is actually Cullum
2: Islet of all people in the car. Yeah, no big deal, you know, yeah. just TTM, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. chuck, chuck a potential, well, arguably F1 standard driver, <laughs> just mm. drop him in, yeah. see, see what I happens. I might
1: be remembering the names wrong, but from the other two drivers in the car, it seems like a really strong car.
0: The Iron Lynx car?
1: Yeah, the Iron Lynx car. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Chrisoni Chris and Messonati always race with the Iron Lynx. I think they're all yep. from the um, from the GT3 ranks
2: more so. I, I believe so. They do more um, Michelin Le Mans Cup, OK, ELMS style stuff. And I believe Rino Mastronardi used to be um, a driver coach, or still is a driver coach. But because he's so old, he's now downrated to bronze. So he knows what he's doing.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that's probably the rule I explained earlier. Each yep. rule get downrated.
2: Yeah, but I think for me,
0: you look at the teams on this list, and when you talk about form teams, Team Project One and Dempsey Proton Racing are the two you always go to. All in the Porsches, in the historic. I mean, not so much this year, but historically, they've been the cars that have been up towards the front of this race. You know? Yeah,
2: yeah, historically,
0: yeah, historically. Um. Okay. Yes, one of those cars has Christian Reed in it, but. <laughs> And they've probably paired Christian Reed with two of the best up and coming drivers.
2: They do have a Porsche stable to pick from. They I'll, do. I'll give
1: you that.
0: Yes. But what other teams are, are, are draw your attention yeah, from
1: that Yeah, you, like, you have the 83, AF 8, 8, 8, 8 of course, that's like
2: the most yeah, open. They're, sil-
1: they're silver. Yeah. <laughs> really shouldn't be a silver if we look at the times. Yeah. So, that's, yeah. Actually, ridiculous how fast he is.
2: Yes. You're talking about Nicholas Nielsen there. And Alessio Rivera. Yes, true.
1: Alessio Rivera is... is it, has he been the fastest
2: every race of that car? It feels like. He's, some, he's sometimes been the fastest, including the pros.
1: In yeah, GTE Pro. That's, that's where we remember Which is crazy. He's absolutely ridiculous.
0: Yeah, because these cars are no different to what you get in GTE Pro, apart from the driver quality.
2: Well, they are bop slightly lower as well. Oh,
1: they are they as slightly lower? Okay.
2: Yeah. Guys so think
1: are yep. a year older and... A little bit lower BOP, but they get yep. they get newer tyres more often. So, correct.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, what other teams there draw your attention?
2: Is it is it correct that the number forty seven Chetelar Racing they are currently leading the World Endurance Championship? Championship. Um, they are a, a real well, not necessarily a surprise, but they've come from LMP two, but they've had a bronze, Roberto Lacorte who funds the team. And they were never really up there in LMP2 because they were using the Delara chassis, which was a bit down uh, on performance. But also they had the bronze uh, in P2. Um, so they never really shone at the front of the class. But now going into GTEs, they've been absolutely brilliant. And it's great to see. They have so much passion. Yeah, um, they really leading yeah. by two
1: points. Over the yeah, which won twice.
2: Yeah, and we've seen this in the past
0: where, um, like, the obvious example is Nicolas Lapierre. He could never cut it as an LMP1 driver, but chuck him in an LMP2. He was
2: phenomenal. He couldn't lose a race. No I matter mean, how hard he tried. I'd recommend um, people to watch the Chetela racing movies that are on YouTube. I think it's called Spirit of Le Mans. Um, yeah, roller coaster, but um, very very good to follow a team with good passion, uh, for the for the race.
0: Yep. Uh, what other teams stand out to you guys?
1: Well, for me, D Station, but that's part because one of the drivers who drives it.
0: Yeah, you yeah, should. So not beneficial.
1: the most positive first impression, because I still don't know what to think about that, that one year at the month. like. Yes,
0: yeah, so Tony Hoshino is a yeah. guy we're talking about who actually got involved in an incident and was like, nah, I, I can't do this anymore today, this year.
1: Yeah, we don't really know the full story. We mm. think that was the case, but nobody really told what really happened. Mm. It's a little bit hush-hush, so it's like...
0: Yeah. But they, retain,
1: they retain I, don't, I don't know. I still think. You know, you could say it was the M's, M's fault in this race at Satoshi, but like in in and a multi class racing, the faster car has to make sure they overtake safely. So it's like I know you don't want to lose time, but you can't really. Uh, I think it's difficult to to play to blame an M's driver in that. Like, from what I remember, he held his line, which you're supposed to do. Mm. At least all pro-drivers tell uh, the AMs, but that, just what... keep moving on the line, because if you are unpredictable, then you get accidents. Yeah,
0: well, that's one of the things where, um, we talked about before. the How you manage traffic in this race, like, one small incident where you have, you know, where you just ever so slightly tap a faster car a slower car in this case it was a Amb against an LMP1 car one small incident ended the race
1: um, so things like that so we talked about that before it's, it's how you... I think a good example might be when it went wrong in this case an LMP1 mm. GT is probably Magnix Magnix uh, Alan Magnix crash in 2011 Yeah. people can look it up on YouTube that yeah, is a that... case of Another one being too eager and getting together with a GTE and having a massive crash. Yeah, so and people that, interested can look that up on how you should not handle traffic.
0: Exactly right. Um, so yeah, this this twenty three car grid is absolutely full of quality as well. And you look at some of the drivers in there. We talked about, you know, we talked about some of the super silvers. One uh, that accepted to me, obviously, Bias Jackson Evans from New Zealand um one of them up and coming Porsche Juniors. You've got Jerome Bleakenmullen who just is a gold driver who just basically drives these things for fun and does well while doing it. Um, yeah, I have
1: the feeling Bleakenmullen has been downgraded, but because it feels like I remember seeing him as a platinum some years ago.
0: Yeah well he is now how old is he now? he be in his 50s would didn't he?
1: No, well, I don't think so, but but I don't think he will be that competitive this year because his car has at least now on the list two bronze drivers. Yeah, true. And I don't really know them and their pace.
0: But yes, you but you've got drivers here like Giancarlo Fischer-Keller. He's done some form of racing, I think. Um, Nikki team. Nikki t- Nikki team. <laughs> was,
2: yeah, he snuck in there. He
0: snuck in there next to one of the best silver drivers we've got as well.
2: And yeah, when and what do you think this is enough for uh, Paul Dalalana to finally win? Oh, I hope so. Yeah,
1: I still question if Team is that that much of an upgrade over Farfus, but we shall see.
0: Yeah, but Paul. For those who don't know, Paul Dalalana, he is the nice guy of GTE racing. <laughs> I know. Flood shared this story numerous times, meeting him at Bathurst. He's just a big Canadian teddy bear. He's been at this race so many times. Is had never quite been able to get the job done because of silly mistakes or something going wrong. be great if this was Yeah, It gives
1: me flag- flashbacks. Yeah. I think it was
0: 2015. The wall, the lead.
1: Yeah, it was <laughs> 2015, I think it was.
0: Yeah, when he went to the wall in the lead at the Fort ch- chicane. I almost said Fort chicane. Yeah, the last,
1: ch- <laughs> the last chicane on the lap for people who don't know.
0: Yeah. So this class is another great one to watch. Um... It might be hard to track at times with the coverage, not necessarily focusing on all that much, and because you'll have pro driver against am drivers, so there's going to be a lot of toing and froing. So if you are that way inclined that you want to keep an eye on live timing, that's a great way to keep an eye on this class. And actually for this race in whole, guess, that's one of the keys to the, watching this race. Get yourself some live timing. Get yourself an onboard stream or two. So you set up your battle station and just enjoy the race from that point of view.
1: And let's plug uh, Fantasy WC here also. Mm-hmm. Which can help.
0: Yep. Uh, more invested. yeah Then he was run by one of, one of the guys on the chat. Mr. Uh, Mr. Clarkson. He's going to hate, hate that I called him that. But he, um, yeah, pick, pick a car from each class. It's probably the best way to get into this race if you are a casual fan. Uh, pick a car from each class and follow their fortunes throughout the race. Um... And if you do well enough, you might just happen to win overall and get breaking rights over the rest of us. Um, other ways to watch this race, obviously we talked about the uh, live timing. What What other tips would you have for those sending in for the first time to watch this?
2: Pick a car per class. One car per class. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter who they are. And just try and follow where they are um, on timing, whether that be uh on a dedicated live timing service or when the ticker comes up on the screen and like hourly updates just try and work out where they're going and focus on that one car and how they ebb and flow whether that be a pro car and how their strategy is being finessed or a a pro-am category and and try and work out when the amateur's in the car how their lap times are doing and then when the pros are in the car and how they're coming back up the field. Um, yeah, that would be my recommendation. Yeah.
1: Would you have I anything? think joining a chat, such like our Discord or just, for example, Reddit, the discussion thread, uh, makes you also more invested because you can talk about the race. Uh, if you ask s- questions. Doing, send something at the moment, you can ask questions and get them answered. Mm-hmm. So I think that's also a good way to uh, get yourself more uh, invested. Yeah, so
0: leading up to the race we'll have a, a primer thread on the on the WEC subreddit that will go through everything you'll need to know for the race it'll give you documentaries to watch and prepare, preparation how to watch you know everything you could ever need to know details on how to enter the fantasy WEC how to join the discord you know that'll be up in the week before the race join the discord ask the questions you want to ask um we'll only ever be too happy to answer also listen to the rest of our podcasts coming up before the we'll have uh, entry list previews going through pro and am classes we'll also have a bit more of a th- in-depth discussion about many of the talking points he- ahead of the race and we'll also have our customary pre 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 race show which is usually very loose and very sweary and um, that's usually held live on youtube so, this time of year, I just can't wait to get any of get this underway. And I can't wait for the race itself. It promises to be the best race of the year for me.
1: Yeah, it feel, again, it feels a bit weird with having it almost two months later. Again mm. this year. But uh, it will be interesting how, how it plays out. Because I think it Because it was in September last year?
0: Yes, yeah, it was. was it? Yeah. September last year, October, August this year. Uh, promises to be a great race. Uh, before you sign off, anything you'd like to add there, Mister Oliver?
2: Oh, I've got my uh, playlist of things to watch. Here go. I've got to catch up on. <laughs> you know, make sure you you watch Truth in Twenty Four, both of them on YouTube, and uh, maybe the Italian Spirit of Le Mans, and uh, and that will really get you in the mood.
1: Yeah, and I'll uh, have. I think if you have Amazon, uh, if I remember correctly, there's some. A... Pretty good show about the Le Mans 2015. Because over the teams, also over the field Nissan project that year. Which was pretty interesting in my opinion. Yep. If you have a chance to watch that, I would also recommend it.
0: Yep. And I'll have my customary oh my god, this you're actually eating that that food challenge for when for after the first out of the race or in this case of the whole race. Uh, we're gonna have to tell them that shortly as well. So if you like watching a crazy person eat disgusting stuff stay tuned for details on how to watch this race keep an eye on our uh, on our reddit threads and all of that as we get closer to the time uh, our next podcast out should be about the preview shows for the going through the entry list car by car so if you're not sure which car to listen out for especially this year with the uh, additional drivers additional cars make sure you keep an ear out for those but for now uh ollie but thanks for joining me this evening much appreciated We'll speak to you soon with the next episode of Endurance Chat. I'm Chris Riddell. Peace out. i would tell you so about that, sorry.
2: Kazoo.